We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. He said to me, you need to come up with a name for this music. I said, funk. I say all these things. And I just said, you know, heavy R&B. And he said, no. Mm-mm. And he, at that time, he was writing along with George Jackson, all those guys, New Jack City. And we had did this interview in the studio while I was working on Let's Chill. Before Keith Sweat got to it. So he said, this music, you got to call it New Jack Swing. Because you got the swing. And you're a New Jack. And everybody that will touch this music will be New Jacks to this culture of music. So everybody's life has a soundtrack. That's what I believe. There are albums we all remember that immediately kind of transport us to a moment, a season, whatever. Well, my guest today has produced, written, and sang several songs and albums that just take me back to some of the most signature moments and times in my life. Let's go to 1988. I had a middle school crush on a guy named Noah. And, well, there was a song that was pretty popular then called I Like, right? (laughs) Just Got Paid. They used to play that song every Friday in Detroit. Uh, And if you ever heard it, and especially on those days where you actually had just got paid, that's when it just went to another level. Let's chill. You know how many homecoming slow dances that I had to that song? How many guys, you know, tried to grab my ass? To Let's Chill, let's just say it was a nice little number. Tease me tonight. You know what? I That's going to be too much information, so we just going to skip over that. But nevertheless, it was a pivotal moment, all right? My life got me through college. Heaven Can Wait was on my short list of songs I thought I might get married to one day. So, if you still have no clue as to who the guest is on today's episode of Jamel Hill is Unbothered, then think about who the best producer, hit maker, group maker is in history it ain't that many and this musician has a hall of fame catalog i'm talking about the one and only teddy riley he's up next yep yep actually teddy riley my mother would be really mad at you because unfortunately because of some of your music of, of which I started listening to in high school. It was a few young men that, you know, got inspired and may have felt on my booty because of a little tease me tonight because of some of the other wow. grown music. So I feel like, you know, right now, um, you know, you need to apologize to my yeah, mom for I, having I, all I, these young men feeling on my booty absolutely. with all this music that you made for my hypersexual self <laughs> as a high schooler. My hormones running wild and you, you hear, you know, tease me tonight and let's chill. And, 
You know what I'm saying? Well, not just to your mom, but all the mothers <laughs> out there. You made their job so hard. I did. Oh. I, I, I truly apologize. Um, it wasn't really about the subject. It was just about getting the music out there. And that's all I wanted to do. However, I could do it. So I had my writers. They would write the songs to my tracks. So I can't take full responsibility for that. But I'm going to apologize for all of us. Out there. Uh, this music that yeah. created babies. I was about to say, contributing to teenage pregnancy. Created babies, oh, making Teddy babies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, it's no surprise. And it's long overdue that you are today, Teddy Riley, getting your star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So what does that mean to you to get such a such an honor? Well, I've been to many schools, but this is the school that I wanted to finish, you know, and this is like getting my my doctrine. And that's what, you know, that's what I wanted to see more or less than, you know, everything being about the money. I just wanted to complete this. So as you can see, all of my children, they have a star on me as I get my star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Mm. So uh, who all is going to be at your celebration? I don't know. But I know my children will be there. My right. mom is going to be there, who's my rock, and uh, who just got me through all of this. You know, my mom lives with me, so I am a, I don't know, I wouldn't say I'm a mama's boy. But, you know, my mom has been my rock and she's been getting me through everything. It feels like you're getting your flowers, uh, I guess, for people who have been sort of with you on this journey from day up, day one, a lot of music lovers. It feels like you're getting your flowers to some degree later than you should. Um, and maybe that's just my biased perspective, just because I feel like you have been there literally making the soundtrack of my life for so long. But for you, do you feel like this appreciation is coming at the right time? Or there's a part of you that's saying, like, you know, i kind of been doing this for a minute. Well, for me, it, it, there's no wrong time. Mm. It's creativity. And when people create in their minds that this is the time. See, I don't depend on that. I depend on the most high. You know, um, it's always on the time of the spirit. And that's why I can appreciate whatever time is given to me, as long as I'm here to get it. And that's all I did was reserve myself to see these days. So I went to Essence Fest this year, and it was the first time I'd ever gone, which I feel like uh, when it comes to my black people's credit score, like that had, that right. had decreased just because I had never gone to Essence. And... The concert that you you headlined there, uh, this Legends of Music concert that they had at Essence. And I'll be honest, that's one of the best concerts I've ever been to in my life. Wow. Uh, it was Timbaland, what, Coco from SWV. I know mm -hmm. you've obviously done songs for them. Genuine, Pharrell, who you're very close to. Um, the St. Augustine marching band, mm -hmm. um, who has meant a lot to history. What did that performance and having that center stage at Essence mean to you? It meant so much. Um, I really wanted to do more, but um, being that the circumstances of everybody that was there before, I could have done that whole day, even with the people who were there. And to really top it off, to save Essence money, one band, and I wanted to do something really big like that, having the whole day. 
And hopefully, you know, one day they'll give me that opportunity because it will be the really the concept of people's lives. It will be like 20 acts and and we're just going through it and taking you all through the moments of you remembering where you've been when these records were made. So my thing is I, I just really wanted to get in where I fit in and whatever is given to me, I'm going to make the best out of that time. And now, now, when you were, um, as you were the performing and seeing all that, I don't know if this, how much this dawns on you or if you even think about it because you're, you're in the moment. Uh, but when you look and think about all the people that you've worked with, are you even in awe that you have been able to work with as many people as you have? I'm always in awe. But um, I suffered um, an anxiety attack before from me being in awe, so excited, which is why I'm this way now. So I have to take everything in stride and, and stay calm about it because I can be very excited and blow my top again. But, uh, and it happened before when I did the Apollo. I had to go to the hospital afterwards. I was so in awe. I was so in the moment because being home and knowing that the backstage of that building was the backyard of my elementary school. And me seeing myself and getting flashbacks of my being on the fence seeing who's coming to the Apollo today. It was just that moment, you know, and I felt it. The end of the night, I, they kept me for about, what, nine hours. My brothers, all of them, every one of them were there. And um, I just can't, you know, go into that again. I mean, because I, I love performing, so I have to reserve myself for it. You know, I'm going to be performing today and just giving a, a concert with my friends and people who will come and, you know, majors coming to sing my favorite song. So I'm just going to enjoy this moment, stay calm, and just know that your compliments mean so much to me. And I'm taking it as like, you know, I'm trying to hold back from the tears and things because I know that, you know, there's a love and people have love for the music, for me and my creation. And I receive it very well. So had you ever dealt with anxiety before? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was close to out of here. And the one thing that saved me was my mom. You know, she did a few things, home remedy, and it, it really it brought me back. So I'm just going to go through this whole night and enjoy it and You'll see the happiness and if you come and party with us and and celebrate with us. So this was something you never necessarily got treated for um, professionally. You can't get treated for it. Mm -hmm. Anxiety is anxiety. Depressed. You could be the happiest and still stress. Mm -hmm. Everything is stress. When you're low, stress. When you're high, it's stress. So I'm trying to stay in the middle, you know, and enjoy everyone. So... How do, um, you know, when you're going through something, you know, like that, uh, how is it that you're, you know, that you are not just able to bring yourself necessarily out of it? Because you admit you had your your mom for help. But are there things that you do purposely so that you can try to prevent yourself from going back to those, that particular feeling? Yes. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Well, 
I have, um, this may sound crazy, but I have an imaginary friend. And I had him since I was four years old. So I used to see my mom and my dad argue a lot and um, fight. And all I had left, you know, I didn't have, I had a little brother. And my sister and I, we didn't get along. So I always would, you know, turn to my little brother and we would go in the corner and, and, and you know, like big brother hug and sit back and I would talk to the music man. The music man was my imaginary friend that I still talk to today. And um, it was that spirit of like hearing my mom's voice, everything's gonna be all right. And she used to sing that in church. I got a feeling everything's gonna be all right. So those were the things that I looked at was my imaginary friend and my mom saying that. And I would always, I would always come back, so. Now, uh, some people know this, some people don't, but your roots, your early, early beginnings were, were in the church. Yes. Yeah, so how did that sort of influence your music career? Well, just hearing, you know, being in church and the church that I went to was jumping. It was uh, um, Jazzy J from Bambada. He was the drummer. And then Andre, not Andre Harrell, but uh, he's like my teacher. He was the organist. And then my pastor played organ as well. He was like Sylvester with the voice and and uh, how Herbie Hancock on keys. And um, that's what inspired me to uh, play piano. And, and they would call me up and play piano. And next thing you know, I wound up being a piano player for Universal Temple, which was across, from the, across the street from the, the hospital I was born in, Harlem, Harlem Hospital. And I used to look at that hospital every time I come out of the church and say, that's where I was born. And um, I was supposed to speak at that um, hospital to a bunch of kids, um, foster kids and inner city kids. And that was the time I went into the hospital at the, uh, after the Apollo performance. So being in church was after, like I really got serious about being in church after I got in trouble and I got busted. And that was uh, when I was uh, 15 years old. And I went to church and I remember the, the cop that arrested me. He asked me, what did I want to be? And I said to him, I want to be a star. And he said to me, you ain't going to be no star in here. And if somebody don't come and pick you up, you're going to be in central booking. And my mind was just like, somebody's coming to pick me up. And my mom came to pick me up with my Uncle Willie. My Uncle Willie was very big in New York, the New York circuit. He owned about, I'd say, 15 bars. If you ever seen the movie Paid in Full, Oh, I've seen it. <laughs> so you see, when the cars was coming around, you see that hamburger stand that said Willie Burgers. That's my uncle. He owned that. He owned the rooftop. And that's how we had rooftop records. We had a rooftop roller skating ring. So these are all the things that got me back to being who I am today, getting into the music. But the only way to do that, because we didn't have anybody to, you know, show us and bring us in. So we, I, I auditioned for a band, and I was 14. And the band, I had my little Casio, 
They used to walk around with my Casio and play for everybody. So I finally picked up my heart to go across the street and ask this band, could I play something for them? And it's like, shorty, if you can't play, we're going to take your Casio. So I said, okay, fine. Take my Casio. So they said, um, so I bought my Casio and I thought they was going to hook up my Casio. It's like, no, give us the Casio. You're going to play this key- this keyboard right here. And it was a Fender Rhodes, heavy keys. So I've never played one in my life. So I said, okay, let me see. And then my fingers weren't wide enough. So I used two fingers and the song was Reasons. So my first time, I knew those songs because my mother and my father played Sam Cooke, Earth, Wind & Fire, Stevie Wonder, everything. And I had to learn those records. And I knew reasons and I played and they counted it off. So I played and and these guys were looking at each other like, can't be. And I joined the band. And I was doing um, circuits. We we played um, Rennie's Lounge, Blue Note, Tribeca's. And I played from 14 years old. I needed a guardian. And the guitar player became my guardian, Jerome Dickens. And uh, we just played every bar until we ended up in my Uncle Willie's bar, Jock's Place on 137th Street and 7th Avenue. And I played making two to $300 a week. That was a lot of money. I was going to say, that, that wasn't bad. <laughs> For that and, age, um, that wasn't bad. But we grew to that. I started at 50. As you know, the band was like, yo, we need to make some money. We have kids. They were 18, 19. I was just 14. And um, then I graduated up to 300. And it was the most incredible time of my life, enjoying how to become that musician on stage. I had phone books under me because I wasn't high enough to play, and then I would be lost behind the keyboards. And I was the shortest guy in my school. So you can imagine how short I was standing up playing a Fender Rhodes and and a string clavier. Now I want to go back to... uh something that you said um because some people don't fully know this story is that the reason we we know now of teddy riley um the music producer um group maker hit maker and all that is because of that bust you referred to um you uh you got busted for drugs correct Mm -hmm. you were trying to sell drugs yes um so what happened well i was with a crew who were like my brothers outside of my family and um, it wasn't a gang type of situation. It was almost like a brotherhood. And uh, we used to do everything. We used to go to Holly, um, Harlem World. We used to go to Rooftop. We used to go to all the different clubs uptown. We never went downtown because we were hustlers. We didn't want to, no parts of downtown, you know, being pulled over or anything. So we went to Harlem World every week. And that's where I would see... Dougie Fresh, Crash Crew, Disco 4, plus one more, and Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, which is Andre Harrell, and all the different rap groups, Crash Crew, Furious Five. And I was just this little kid 
little hustler. So after hustling, I would be inspired. Most of those guys would just be like, yo, that rap that Kumo D did against Busy B, you know, they would just, I was just like, I'm inspired about, I need to make that music. But I had no instruments. So that's what I hustled for. I hustled to buy instruments because I didn't have anyone. And then my uncle and I, we disconnected for a minute and then we connected back and I just stuck with him after getting busted. He came to pick me up from the precinct. So how it happened is, you know, the cops come around and next thing you know, everybody's just running through the building. And I figured if I didn't run, they would not bother me because I hid my stash. What were you saying? They snatched uh, angel dust. Okay. And um, I stood there. I didn't run. And they snatched me up. They took every kid that stood there, just to make an example. And then when I got there, that's when they found everything, because it was in my crotch. And um, that was it. My uncle came and got me, but... This talk that I had with the officer was the most inspiring conversation because I gave him the information. It's almost like putting things in the universe. So I told him I wanted to be a star. That was the second time I said I want to be a star. The first time was when my aunt asked me after being at the Apollo at five years old. And I got picked up on the stage by Gladys Knight singing Neither One of Us. That was the first time I said I wanted to be a star. Second time was, was then. And he just said, I see your dream. But if you're doing this, that dream would never happen. So you think about where you want to be from here. The same cop, I was driving my very first SL drop top white Mercedes Benz. And I had a show, four shows sold out at the Apollo. The same cop was doing, he was paroling, you know, patrolling the uh, traffic so that 125th Street wasn't clogged up. So I pulled in front of that cop and he looked at me like, you gonna run me over? And he kept looking. And he went, his face went from mad to surprise to tears in his eyes. And I got out of the car and gave him a hug. And I said, are you coming to this show so that I can thank you? He said, man, I got to do this. But I will try to make it. And I don't know if he made it, but... It was so crazy that I seen him patrolling the traffic and and I got to give him a hug just to thank him because and I put him on my first album, which was the guy album. The the uh actual and I, I didn't know his name. So I said, The cop that busted me from and you can read the credits, <laughs> the hundred and twenty third street precinct. And I just had to do that, you know. If I could find him I I would would have given him a platinum record. But um, hopefully one day, if he's still around, I'll be able to do that. 
How often do you think, not just about that moment, but other moments in your life where it really could have went one way or another, and maybe a way where you wouldn't be here right now, and by here, position in life, or maybe even physically here, like how often do you think about those moments? Um, a lot. Um, most of those moments are in my book. I'll give you one. It was a time where we were actually making a song in the studio for Kumo D. And we finished the session. Kumo D, we were all finished, and Kumo D was happy, and he left the studio. It was myself and Greg G, who owned Rucker. He was there, and and uh, LaVeba Mallison, uh, Money G, G Money. And I think it was Timmy Gatlin, the original member of Guy. And these guys came in and held us hostage. And we were all told to get on the ground, one by one, in the rooftop. And uh, they had AKs and I remember 45 caliber to our heads. And um, I was praying. When I came out, I was the next to last. No, actually, third to last. And Timmy Gatlin came out afterwards and he was saying, what's going on? And the guy hit him in the head with one of the guns and I can remember his ear was bleeding and he still had to get on the ground and and they were trying to extort my partner. And I thought my life, I seen my life before me. And uh, prayer changes things. And it changed that whole moment. So I knew God had something in store for me. And that was uh, the time my life just went up from there. I remember my partner was like, everybody just lay low. Go home, take the instruments. And I did that, and he commenced on completing the mission and getting us back together so that we can finish our mission of getting this music, this uptown music out there. Now is the time. I'm sure a lot of people uh, who hear these stories from you um, and just know a little bit about your life probably tell you all the time that you got a real testimony. Of course. <laughs> a real, real testimony as as uh, somebody who seems to be as, um, you know, connected with their faith as you are. You you understand what that means. Mm -hmm. But there, um, I could ask you a billion questions because I have so many. Um, but we're going to take a, a quick break. Okay. Come back. And, of course, I have some questions about Guy and some of the people that you work with. You brought up... Kumo D. What's so interesting is that you have worked not with just some of the biggest names, but some of the biggest rivals in music. So we'll talk about that uh, after the break. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. 
the rage of the earth, we made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. As I uh, mentioned before the break, um, you've not only worked with some of the biggest names, but some of the biggest rivals. And I was trying to rack my brain and think of how many producers out there have actually done music from both Michael Jackson and Prince. And I don't know who else is on that list other than you. Um, I'm trying to think right now. Like, yeah, like, be, I really don't know who's uh, been able to do that. You did Dangerous, of course, and... Um, you know, working with both of these guys who... Well, well, let's take it even further. Okay. Michael Jackson, Prince, Aretha Franklin, Quincy, the whole Jackson family, Mick Jagger, Tom Jones, Stephanie Mills, Patti LaBelle, the Winans. I don't know if anybody has that. I don't know if anybody has that on the on the career resume. I mean, that is... Mm. That is pretty incredible. And then uh, new artists, Pharrell, Jay-Z, Kanye, who else? <laughs> We'd be here all day. Oh, Usher. Yeah, it was like we listed all, everybody, so SWV. I, like, all, I mean, we would be here all day if we did. But sticking it with, with Michael Jackson um, and, and Prince, um, you uh, <laughs> talk about just how the differences in working with both of them, like how are they alike and how are they different? Wow. I can say that they are alike because they're very eclectic. They're very spiritual and their souls are amazing. Just sitting down and talking with them and getting, you know, soaking in all of, their knowledge, especially Michael. I spent more time with Michael than Prince because it was just a remix I did for Prince. He was inspired by my music and and even more inspired when I came out with No Diggity, he performed it live and that says a whole lot, you know, more than me just working with him. And then Michael, he sent me a video on a VHS of him dancing to Spend the Night, which was one of his favorites. And, um, but his knowledge was even more powerful to my life, which uh, he showed me how to reserve in the things that he did, reserve life, reserve others, reserve your time that you spend with others because you never know so that reserve means spend as much time in that moment, not the time. And Michael would tell me things about life that I would never even thought that it would make sense. But when you do it, it becomes your life. And my life now have been inspired by him to be the person that I am. And it's shoot humble, shoot humble. And that's what you get back. 
So that's what I've always been. If you shoot a little humble, people will give you that different person, you know, because most people are like, ah, we don't want, he's old school. He's OG, you know, and then when they meet me, it's like, yeah, this is going to work. He still looks the same, that type of thing. So working with Michael have shown me how to reserve and how to become that star. He didn't just show me how to become a great producer, but he showed me how to become a great artist and a great person. And uh, my new walk is amazing, adopting a tribe of kids. I adopted two children. My first son, I adopted him. I was 22, 23. He was nine. And that's when I moved to Virginia. And I moved to Virginia to get away from the uh, environment of which we all grew up in and just to kind of see another way of life. I didn't want to move down south to South Carolina because it was too far from civilization. So Virginia was away from civilization, but it became it became like the place, you know, where music evolved and and uh I'm so happy to be one the one to start it. So I wanted to go somewhere to start music. And Michael was with me and he was supporting me at that time because I was debating whether I should go back to New York or have everyone just move to Virginia. And after working with Michael, my whole move was without me. When I moved into the new house and everything in Virginia, I was working with Michael and my whole team moved my stuff, my instruments, my storage, all my cars. And then while I was with Michael, I adopted my son Dante and uh, put him through school and everything. He went to Delaware State and, and had him in private school with my daughters. So I didn't think I was going to have a son. Now I have five sons. <laughs> See? <laughs> you but, undersold yourself. <laughs> yeah. But I want you to get all your questions. Oh, you no, know? no, no, no. You Look, I, again, you got stories. I so can sit here the, and So that's the difference between Michael and, and Prince. Yeah. But they, to me, it was like Tupac and Biggie. They were friends. True friends. Like, hang out. What's up? You know, at the house, everybody's just laying back. It was that type of friend. You know, those two. And but when but they, they were rivals, though. I mean, they, they went through a after, period where they were not rivals. Right. I mean, where they were not friends, excuse me. Yeah, well, right. that period was when the James Brown concert happened, and they both were at the concert. And Michael was asked to come on stage, and then afterwards Prince was asked to come on stage. And it became a moment where Prince didn't pull it off like Michael. Michael went into the moonwalk and everything. And I tell you, Michael is a hard, just like Prince. They both are a hard act to follow. But at that moment, Michael was here and Prince was there. And then Prince, you know, they were friends. So 
it's almost like uh, some of the Jacksons were friends with uh, Bruno Mars, and Bruno Mars slept on their couch. But Bruno Mars got the record deal. Gone. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They were that close. I didn't know who slept on who couch, but... <laughs> <laughs> right? But they were that close. And when that happened, it kind of moved them apart. And they were supposed to do I'm Bad, Bad Together. And um, I knew all of this because Michael always talked about Prince and how he wanted this song. Because I was supposed to be on the, the Bad album. And the man, my manager at the time, Gene Griffin, messed up that whole thing. He wanted me to be, pre he wanted to be present doing everything with Michael. It's like, Teddy can't be in the same room with anybody unless I'm present. And that basically struck the deal. We couldn't do it. Michael declined. Hmm. Um, uh, I know you got to get out of here soon, but I want to, I want you to settle this debate. Better album, Thriller or Off the Wall? Whoa. You know there's only one right answer, right? No, it's, it's, no. it's my <laughs> it's one answer. Right answer it's my answer. Okay, it's your answer. I'm going to let you have it. You're right. You're the expert in this. <laughs> me, as a musician, I like them both. But me, as a musician, I would go for Off the Wall. See, I knew it. That's that's why I fucks with you. Okay, I knew it. I didn't know you can curse. No, yeah, you can curse. I told you that at the beginning. You no, just... I don't. I don't curse. I, I really don't. Such I mean, with soul. my kids, I, I stopped them from cursing. I'm like, <laughs> what for real? I'm glad you said that. So everybody listening, Teddy Riley, who knows this thing, <laughs> knows a thing or two about music. It is off the wall. That's the only right answer. Yeah. Okay. My teacher is a part of that album, and I, I always say he's like the coach or my teacher is Greg Filling Games. I, that man is amazing. Fred McFarlane. Um, and there's so many guys out there and new guys today that I study and I look at, and, you know, I take a little bit from everybody. That's New Jack Swing for you. Yeah. Well, you, speaking of New Jack Swing, um, how the hell did you come up with that? <laughs> well, I came up with the music. The title came, basically came about when I was doing an interview with Barry Michael Cooper. And it was my second interview with him. You know how somebody give you homework and you don't do it? He said to me, you need to come up with a name for this music. And I, didn't, I wasn't getting what he was saying, you know. I'm like, R&B. Bubblegum, sophisticated. <laughs> Bubblegum. Wow, that doesn't really have a, that's not that very catchy. <laughs> Gun back, I said funk. I say all these things and I just say, you know, heavy R&B. And he said, no. Mm -mm. And he, at that time, he was writing along with George Jackson, all those guys, New Jack City. And we had did this interview in the studio while I was working on Let's Chill before Keith Sweat got to it. So he said, this music, you got to call it New Jack Swing because you got the swing and you're a New Jack. And everybody that will touch this music will be New Jacks to this culture of music. And I said, okay. 
Because I didn't, I mean, I was young. And I was like, okay, whatever. You know, it's, I'm going to take it, run with it. And I ran with it. And look now. Yeah. 35 years later. So before I get you out of here, I have to ask you about Guy. Um, because when I was at, at Essence, uh, I certainly noticed that for all the, you know, people that you had on stage with you, Aaron, Aaron and Damien, obviously, were not on stage. They were performing in New Orleans elsewhere. We are. We did. Okay. So, um, so where do things stand with you guys as a, as a group? Oh, we still talking. Mm-hmm. We still doing our thing. We just had a concert yesterday in Philadelphia. And I didn't think I was going to pull it off because Philly, Philly is a hard crowd. And like New York. And we had them gone. I, at the end of that show, we had everybody on their feet. And that's the, that's the strategy, you know, how to really, like what we did at the uh, Essence. You know, some people sat down and then at the, as it got like this, they couldn't help it. They couldn't help it. And that's what we're going to be doing today. Guy is definitely a part of what we're about to do. I am creating something that has never been done that... I actually been inspired by K-pop, K-pop artists. You know about anybody uh, know about oh, K-pop artists? Yes, I mean, so you know how many members in K-pop artists. When you see a group, you see a tribe. It's about 12, 15, 20 members, and I got to work with them. So I'm creating that with singers, and I'm going to do a project with the Wu-Tang of singers. And I want to get the best of the best to come on this album with me. And we're going to make it a group. And it's going to be called Guy Black. So can you uh, give me an idea of what singers you want to bring on this? I want singers like that still got it today, still got look good today and, and sing amazingly like they always have. And that would be someone like a, a Joe who you've worked with extensively, yeah. KC by himself. Uh, Donnell Jones. Um, John B. Robin Thicke. Um, of course, Dave Hollister. Um, Tank. Genuine. I'm calling him out. Who else? Uh, so you want this to be all dudes, or you all dudes? Now I'm gonna do a female one. Oh, yeah, I'm doing females. I I want to create the next girls' generation, which is a group from uh, the K-pop world. But girls' generation is like we're showing the next generation. This is how we can do this. We don't have no groups now. There's no groups out here, so. What I'm creating is something that we can take on the road. I've been doing a series of Teddy Riley Presents uh, concerts and Teddy Riley and Friends. I feel like, you know, um, I want to go in and Al Heyman, who inspired me to do Teddy Riley Presents, because when he did the, uh, the Budweiser Superfest, the Victory Tour, a lot of people don't know that was his world. And... He don't even know that he inspired me to want to do concerts and 
I've been talking about. That's the reason why I moved to Vegas because I always wanted to do what Mike, what uh, Mayweather, he do in the boxing world. I want to do in the concert world because I know I can bring it and I know how to do a concert where it saves money for these artists so that they can make money and we can save money as far as the expenses and the back line and all of that. One band, one big show, and many artists. Teddy Raleigh and Friends, that's how I'm going to bring it every time. Well, Teddy, um, you could take all my money <laughs> when you get that off the ground. And I'm sure a lot of people listening feel the same way. Um, that sounds phenomenal. And if anybody can pull it off, I know that it's you. But uh, look, I, I know you uh, are running short on time. And I just wanted to thank you on behalf of all music lovers everywhere for what you have meant to um, not just sound, but to a culture. And for really, uh, as I said previously, um, or I should say earlier in this podcast, for giving us the soundtrack to our lives. So thank you and congratulations again on, on the uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame. And um, I have no doubt that, you know, today is going to be special. And I'm just glad you're getting celebrated when the timing called for it. I am so honored. And, and I have to say, I'm a fan of your show. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you for having me, you know, because in this day and age, you know, you'd be grateful for what you get. And I'm always grateful. And uh, hopefully we'll get to do this again, you know, when we do this whole big thing and have everybody in the room speaking to you. Yeah, tell Tank, Genuine, all of them, they can roll through with you the next time. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> that would well, be Tank dope. is going to be here with me today. He's speaking. And uh, Andre Harrell is speaking. Well, that's awesome. Uh-huh. Um, so cover your ears because um, I have one final segment to go. And, um, yeah, it involves a cuss word. That's right, everybody. The segment that I know you love, that you've been waiting for, is coming up next. Fuck it, I'm bothered. Oh, wow. I love that. Fuck it, I'm bothered. I said it. (gasps) You cursed! (laughs) So when I go to an amusement park, and get on a roller coaster. I expect to be scared. If I go to the Northeast in December, I expect to be cold. If I go to a gas station bathroom, I expect it to be shitty. Sometimes, literally. What I'm getting at is when you go certain places, you should expect certain things. But apparently, everybody doesn't understand this very basic principle. So I read a story recently in the Washington Post about how some people who have chosen to visit the George Washington and Thomas Jefferson plantations, which on some level is fucked up in itself, are upset because the tour guides there ruined their plantation experience by talking about slavery. So much so that they started giving these plantations bad reviews online. One visitor wrote that she didn't come to hear a lecture on how the white people treated slaves. Another wrote, I was depressed by the time I left. Someone else said, the tour was more of a scolding of the old South. Say it with me, folks. Fuck it, I'm bothered. At this point, I shouldn't be amazed, surprised, or even disturbed by the level of ignorance that permeates the very pores of this country. But alas, here we are. I have questions slash concerns. Uh, Folks, what do you think happened at these plantations? Who do you think worked there? 
Did you think the people who took care of George Washington's cherry trees were paid workers with full insurance, vacation time, 401ks, and maternity leave? Did you think that Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, a slave the third president fathered several children with, had a Danielle Steele-like love story? Did you think that they went out on cutesy little dates where they both stuck their hands in the popcorn at the same time? Like Usher said, if you're going to tell it, then you got to tell it all. Fact. Former presidents, the ones your history books taught you to love and admire, owned slaves. They did not consider black people to be human, much less equal. They considered us to be property. Fact. Slaves built the White House. Fact. America became a superpower because of slavery. Fact. The Civil War was about slavery. Slaves were not happy and slaves were not treated well. They were beaten, murdered, whipped, raped and traumatized in ways we can't even begin to imagine. 2019 marks the 400th anniversary of the beginning of slavery in this country. And what's truly sad is that there is a concerted and determined effort to dilute and sanitize what slavery actually was. One of the many reasons racism is still such a significant problem in this country is because of a collective refusal to own up to our shit. You cannot begin any conversation about dealing with or ending racism unless you understand the horrors and the legacy of slavery. In other words, fuck your feelings. Stay unbothered. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify Studios and Unbothered Inc. and recorded and edited by Rich Burner and Cadence 13. Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Evan Dick is our executive producer. Jesse Burton is the executive producer for Spotify. And Denise Holly is the program manager. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. Jamel Hill.